Awesome. Well, we are done with Advent. Um, Advent is a season uh, which we traditionally celebrate in the church, but Advent is actually the season of waiting, of coming, of anticipation. After Advent comes another season, traditionally in the church calendar, called Christmas. (laughs) Christmas is actually a 12-day season, as Kimmy Barnard would be very happy I am sharing with you. Today is actually the second day of Christmas. This is the uh, Two Turtle Doves Day, if you're counting. We have no turtle doves this morning, um, but that is, today is the day when we celebrate the fact that the Christ came, that God came and dwelt among us as a man. And so Advent is over. Uh, next week, uh, actually starting tomorrow, Olivia and I are going to be heading out on vacation. Um, our first vacation was canceled due to COVID. Uh, then our second vacation was tweaked because of the medical emergency we had in the last few weeks. And so Next week, a man named Brandon Ahart is going to come and preach. Brandon's the intern at the church where I did my internship. So he's down in Massachusetts. I, uh, I know he's going to be a blessing to you. I studied with him at Gordon-Conwell. And so uh, really thankful you guys get to hear from Brandon next week. Okay, after that, we're not going to go straight back into Acts. Rather, we're going to do a short uh, series on our mission statement to reground ourselves on what we believe and who we are as a local church family, a Christ-centered family that glorifies God by loving him, loving others, and making disciples. We're going to take six weeks to do that, and then we're going to get back into Acts. And so today, my question, what I was wrestling with is, what do I do today? <laughs> it's, an, it's an abnormal Sunday anyway, um, with the snow being the day after Christmas or the second day of Christmas, if you will. Um, do we do one week in Acts and then take a six-week break? So rather than doing that, what I'm going to do this, this morning is I'm going to turn our attention to one passage of Scripture in the Old Testament. That's Psalm 127. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up there. Psalm 127. The reason I'm going to be out of 127 today is, number one, because I love the Psalms and because poetry offers us something beautiful It gives us words when words won't do. Poetry is able to give us a picture of who God is and what it means to follow God, uh, which is helpful when our words can't fully explain Him. (laughs) It's almost like a love-struck high school boy who falls in love for the first time turns to poetry to express these strange, unexplainable feelings he has in his heart (laughs) for the first time. The Psalms do that, but with God. And so we're going to turn to Psalm 127 today. But the reason why this psalm specifically is because we know that we are at the end of a weary season. The Advent season is a wearying season. And not just that, but we are in the middle of a wearying season, a wearisome season. Our year is over, but Lord willing, our lives aren't. (laughs) So we're going to continue on into 2022. And the question I want to ask as we do is how do we find rest when our lives won't stop? How do we find rest when our lives won't stop? When we still have the the work to do at our jobs, when we still have kids to raise, chores to complete, meals to cook, errands to run, marriages to preserve, uh, kids to, to care for, friends to see, and maybe occasionally sleep. How do we persevere? How do we endure? And more than endure, how do we rest? And how does God fit into that? 
Is God another box on the list of things to check off, or does God transform our list? I want to argue it's the second. And in Psalm 127, we're going to see that Solomon makes the bed in which we can rest, even as we work, even as we labor. He's going to show us that in the Lord, our labor is both productive and peaceful. Maybe I should say it like this. In the Lord, our work is productive and peaceful. So as we prepare to talk about rest, let's take a moment of silence, prepare our hearts for what we're about to do, and then I'll read this, I'll read this passage and then pray. Father, we look to you now. Teach us how to rest even as we labor for you. Lord, be worshipped in the process as we seek to live for you and for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Psalm 127, 1 through 5. I'll read it. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the, of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Let me pray one more time, and then we'll dive in. All right. Heavenly Father, we come to this word expecting to be spoken to by you because it is your word, and we come to it humbly believing, God, that we need something here. Your word is able to change us, and we need it to change us. So, Father, do your work this morning. Whatever it is that each of us need to take away from this, teach it to us. And I pray that I would speak truth clearly. And that what I speak would have uh, what the church fathers called unction. Um, That means power that doesn't come from me, but from you. Um, God, God, let your word do its work this morning. And we pray this, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let me read those first two verses again. Psalm 127, 1 through 2. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For, explanation, for he gives his beloved sleep. Let's leave that up here on the screen for just a moment here. And I want to ask the question, who builds the house? When you look at that verse, who builds the house? It's a simple question, but it's not an easy question. Because when you look at that passage, I see two people building the house. I see those who build the house are building the house, the laborers. I also see that the Lord is building the house. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. 
In other words, if the builder's labor is to, get, is to be productive, you can take it down now, if the builder's labor is going to have its desired effect, if it's going to have its desired outcome, if the builder's labor is going to be worth it, the Lord is going to be the one who's going to have to make it happen. If they try to do the work without him, it, it's in vain. It's going to be fruitless. It's not going to be productive. But I want to point out what it doesn't say. What this passage doesn't say is that because the Lord builds the house, the workers can take a break. What it doesn't say about the watchman is that because the Lord watches over the city, the watchman can take a nap. That's not what this passage says. It says that there are laborers and then there's the Lord. <laughs> working together, working in tandem, to do the work that he has called them to do. Now, in my, in my house right now, um, we have a leaky shower, and uh, it's one night uh, the, the drain was closed, and so that meant it slowly filled up over the night, and so by two, one or two in the morning, there was enough water down there to hear the dripping <laughs> through the night, and uh, if I call a plumber, which I really need to do, um, if I call a plumber, and that plumber is a Christian plumber, let's say, and, and I say to him, hey, can you come and fix the gasket on my leaky faucet? And he says, sure, I'll take care of it. And then he doesn't come. And then I give him a call, and I say to him, hey, are you going to come and fix this or not? And he says to me, well, unless the Lord fixed the gasket, the plumber plums in vain. <laughs> what am I going to say? What I'm going to tell him is, hey, I would appreciate you to to pray for my pipes, but at the same time, maybe you should plumb my pipes. <laughs> I would love it for you to, to, you know, incorporate your faith and your work together, but at the same time, you're going to have to put hand to pipe somehow to fix the issue here, because the house needs a builder, the city needs a watcher, and my pipes need a plumber, so give me a call if you know somebody. Um, the recipe for a productive life, apparently, according to this passage, is not either a laborer or the Lord, but a laborer and the Lord. Both together. Not either or, but both. And the key word that I want us to walk away with today, the word that I want you to write across the top of your notes if you're a note taker, the word that I want you to write across the top of your notes if you're not a note taker, is dependence. Dependence. Dependence is the key word here. How do our labor and the Lord's work go together? Well, they go together in our learning to depend upon Him to help us in the labors that He has given us to do. In the Lord, our labor is productive because we learn to depend on Him. Depend. Depend on Him. Now, I can hear what a logical object objection would be at this point because, frankly, I can hear it as well. In my mind, I have an objection uh, to, this, to this teaching. And the point is, and the, the objection is, rather, I don't usually feel dependent when I'm doing the tasks I do day to day. When I get up and I make breakfast, or when I uh, work on a project, when I sweep our kitchen, I don't feel like I'm doing these things dependently upon the Lord, as if He wasn't there, I wouldn't be able to do these tasks. If I try to go and fix a gasket, it's me who's doing the fixing, or maybe the breaking, but it's I who do the fixing. If I go to cook a meal, it's going to be I who do the cooking. Using the um, hypothetical examples from this passage, if I try to build a house, it's me 
who's going to do the building. It's, it's me who's going to do the watching over the city if it's my eyes doing the work. The point is we, really, we rarely feel dependent when we're doing the work that God has given us to do. And the thing is, this passage, it tells us that it's both the laborer and the Lord working together to bring about the fruit of, this, of these labors, but at the same time, it doesn't really tell us how those two things fit together. How does the laborer and the Lord work together? How is it that we live dependently upon him? Frankly, thankfully, I should say, the rest of the Bible isn't silent about that. The rest of the Bible teaches us a lot about how the Lord and our labor fit together, and it does so by looking both at the past and at the present. So that's what I want to do for a minute here. How does the Bible tell us, speaking broadly, how the laborer and the Lord work together in tandem to bring about his fruit? Well, looking at the past, this is the big one. Our God made, gifted, directed, and shaped us. We have a God who made us, gifted us, directs our steps, and continually shapes us. And maybe we should think about the plumber here as, as the example. Let's just keep him uh, there as the, as the example before us. It might feel like, if you're the plumber, that you're the one who fixed the gasket on your own. But what, I, what you would need to remember is that I wasn't the one fixing the gasket. I wasn't the one who had the skill to fix my leaky pipe. If I were to try to fix that leaky pipe, my next project would be to try to fix the sheetrock downstairs. I don't have what it takes to try to do the task that I am calling this plumber to do. Why? Because I haven't been trained in this. I haven't been grown in this way. God hasn't knit me together in this way. Looking at the Bible as a whole, Psalm 139 says that our God knit you and me, us all together, in our mother's womb. He's the one who makes us the way he makes us. He's intentional in how he does that and how he knits us together, how he makes us. He makes us with natural wirings, natural giftings. And more than just that, we read in Psalm 16 that the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So not only does God make us a certain way, he guides us through life. He leads us to different people who, are different, who, who influence us, different places where we have different opportunities, where we have different experiences. The thing is, in my life, I have never been, I don't think I've been naturally wired to do the work of plumbing, but I haven't also had people alongside me to teach me how to plumb, to model plumbing for me. The Lord forms us at the beginning and he shapes us throughout all of the years of our lives. He's sovereign over that. He works all of that together. The fact is, you and I, we are dependent. We did not make ourselves. We do not shape ourselves. And we are not ultimately able to guide the steps of our lives. We have a God who does that. So I did not make me. I was reflecting on that um, as I was preparing for this morning. When I think about who shaped me, who God used to shape my life, I can point to people like my mom and dad, right? Greg and Denise Rule, many of you know them. They shaped me. They made me into who I am, and God used them to do that. Not just them, I can point to Stephen Lomax, my best friend from fourth grade to senior year of high school. He fell in love with Jesus alongside me. 
It was because he had his arm around me and me, my arm around him, that we followed Jesus together. We were not alone in that. God used him to walk with me in my personal growth. My parents, Stephen, I can think about Jeremy Schombach. I think that beyond family, Jeremy, my, my best friend in the world, has probably paid more for me, prayed more for me than anyone else in the world. Jeremy, and then uh, can think about my wife, who has continually shaped me and challenged me, convicted me by her modeling, her example, and her words. I can talk about Bill Freund, Kyle Tennant, Josh Little, Brianne Fueling, Pat Quinn, Scott Gibson, Stephen Whitmer, many of you. I didn't make me. I'm the product of your fruit. <laughs> I'm a product of all these people's fruit. That's the way God shaped me with influences. He's also shaped me with experiences, with opportunities. When I think about this, I planned the direction I was going to go when I was leaving high school. And my plan was to go to Abilene Christian University to get a business degree and then figure it out from there. That was, that was my plan. But then God said, well, why don't you 10 degree turn? How about you go to this gap year, this school? So I said, okay, I'll do that gap year school, 10 degrees off. But then I'll come back and I'll do the same schooling I had planned. But when I took 10 degrees, he said, well, how about you move a little bit further. How about you embrace the calling to ministry? So I said, okay, I can take another 10-degree turn. I can go to Moody and, and prepare for, for ministry instead. So I was going to go there. I was going to do counseling until the God burdened my heart for his church. He helped me grow in love through the for the church through the ministry of Brienne and Michael Fueling, and he said, well, how about you go into pastoring? See, God guided my steps 10 degrees at a time, little by little, Different influences, different experiences, different opportunities, different, ex different ways that I saw my strengths, different ways I saw my weaknesses. It is such a delusion to think that we plan our steps. It is such a delusion to think that we make ourselves. This story is true for me, but it's true for you as well. If you think back over your lives, you didn't make you the person you are today, just like me either. It is the height of arrogance to the extreme to think that we make who we are. We have a God who intentionally makes us, puts people in our lives, puts opportunities, experiences in our lives, and shapes us all along the journey. Frankly, don't flatter yourself. God is working to shape you into the person he wants you to be. And our God is using you to do the work that he is calling you to do. You are dependent upon him the whole time in the past and in the present. Because that's the first thing, the past, looking at how God has shaped us moving forward to today. But secondly, he's still doing this today. Because we know that God is still active in the world and in you. Our God is still active in the world and in you. That's the second point here. God is still active in the world. He is sovereignly reigning. He is not a detached figurehead. He's not up there he's cranking the world into motion then stepping back and seeing what happens. He's currently reigning. He, he is elbow deep in the messes of this world. Lamentations 5.19, You, O Lord, rule forever. Your throne is from generation to generation. Psalm 93.1, The Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord has clothed and girded himself with strength. Indeed, the world is firmly established and it will not be moved. 
Daniel 4, these are the words of a pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. His rule is an active rule. He's involved in the things of this life, and he's involved in you, shaping you, working in you on the, on the inside as he, as he makes you the person you are. This is Joshua 1.9. This, this is said to Joshua, but it's true for us as well. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The Spirit indwells us, gifts us, empowers us. The Apostle Peter says it. He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as stewards of God's varied grace. He gives us these graces, and we steward them. We use them for his good and for his kingdom. We are united with Jesus Christ, who said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Here's the key. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The Apostle Paul, speaking about the strength we need to endure sufferings, Philippians 4, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. David calls God his helper in Psalm 54. Behold, God is my helper, he says. Isaiah 41 Isaiah says, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So, guys, this is the message of Jesus. This is the message of Paul, of David, Isaiah. They all seem to think that we have a God who is present in our lives today and active in our lives today. And you think so, too. You believe that we have a God who is present and active. At least most people I've talked to in the church. Do you know how I know that? Because I've heard your prayers. I've heard your prayer requests. When you pray to the Lord, you are acting out your dependence upon him. And the things you ask him for show us, show one another, what you actually believe he's able to do. You pray, pray that God would give me strength to endure in this hard situation. You pray things like, pray that God would give me the words I need to speak or give me the humility to have ears to listen. You pray that God would guide the doctor's hands or protect from infection. These are the kind of things we pray for because we believe he can actually do it. That he's not some detached God, that he is in, that he is active, that he is present, that he's able to work in the world in which we live and in our very lives. The prayers of the people of this church and, and many others show that we believe that we have a God who is good and powerful and present, who gets his hands messy. He was able and delighted to be with us and to help us. So the Lord is present and active. And without him, our labor would be in vain because if I haven't said it already enough, that doesn't mean we don't labor. <laughs> we still work. We still have a responsibility to do. We still have to work with all of our might. The Bible is not short on passages that condone hard work. And one example that this passage gives us specifically is in the second half of the passage. Verses 3 through 5, and it's an interesting turn. It feels like a whole other idea. All of a sudden, we're talking about arrows. Like, what's going on here? But this is what Solomon writes as an example. 
in Psalm 127, 3 through 5. He says this, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. I mean, I I can't think of a better example of the fact that we have a task to do, yet God does everything, than childbearing. Uh, We know a husband and wife have a responsibility in the conceiving of children. The birth of children is literally called labor. It's hard work to have a kid, but anybody who's ever struggled with infertility knows painfully well how little control we have over the conception of a human life. Even just thinking myself in this season of of childbearing, (laughs) um, it's such a miracle. The fact that a life is being formed in my wife's stomach as we speak. I didn't know how to do that. That's what God does. It's his work. It is so clear. He is the one who knits together human life. We do our part. It's very small. But God is the one who makes our labor fruitful in that way. He is the one who opens and closes the womb. That is the best example we can have of the fact that the laborer and the Lord must work together. Otherwise, our work's in vain. Our labor's in vain. We can labor hard, but we don't labor alone. Without the Lord, our labor is in vain, but in the Lord, our labor is productive. Our labor is productive. Now, at the beginning of our time together, I was talking about how when we depend upon the Lord, our labor is not only productive, but also peaceful. And that's the other part of this passage that I really want to focus in on now. Without the Lord's help, our labor is not productive. It is in vain, but also it is peaceful. Join me back in Psalm chapter 127, verse 2. I'm just going to read that verse on its own. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for, he's about to give a reason, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Let's, let's take that verse. And let's repackage it a little bit. Let's mix up the order of the sentences, uh, keep the same idea, because I think if we do, we're going to be able to understand what it's getting at a little bit more clearly. He's saying, you can rise up early and, and go late to rest, okay? You can burn the candle at both ends. You can work day and night. You can eat the bread of anxious toil, you can work, you can work for your living, you can, you can let your heart and your mind agonize over the work that you are doing, but it's in vain. For, here's the explanation, he gives to his beloved sleep. I think it's so interesting here that he turns to the idea of anxiety, because we know the way that anxiety has a way of possessing us, like a spirit. It possesses us, it affects our entire lives, it, inside and out, mind and soul. Uh, anxiety has a physiological effect on it. It hurts our bodies. 
We know anxiety uh, can give you headaches. It can make your shoulders tense. For me, I clench my teeth. I wake up with sore teeth in the morning when I'm anxious. They say that it gets in the way of childbirth. It, it has all kinds of issues when, we are, when we're anxious. Our work is in vain. But he gives to his beloved sleep. After all, one of the main things that anxiety can do in our lives is make it hard to sleep. <laughs> we have a God who even in the midst of hard toil removes that anxiety and is able to give us sleep, peaceful and productive labor. If we are in the Lord, if we labor in the Lord, our labor can be peaceful and productive. And one more time, we have to turn and ask the question, how? Like, it's nice that you say that, but at the end of the day, I still got work tomorrow. I still have got a list of tasks to do a mile long. I still don't know how I'm going to get everything I need to done, even for, my, even for my household in the next few days. So that's very nice that you think, Ben, <laughs> that I can uh, have a peaceful labor in the Lord, but what does that actually look like? Well, we see just a couple examples. Let me give you just a few. And we're going to follow this track to the end of our, our time this morning. But what about our jobs? Because here again, this passage doesn't tell us specifically how we find peace in our labors, but the Bible does. How do we find rest in our work? Well, Colossians 3, 23 through 24 lays a foundation for that answer. This is what it says. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for man. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Okay. Rest in your work. How? We can rest in our work not ultimately, or because we are not ultimately, working for a boss whose approval is based on what we can accomplish. Ultimately, we are working for a boss who offers us rest because of what he has accomplished. He has done all the work required for us. We are, uh, we are pleasing in his sight because he did the work required for us to be pleasing. We can rest in our job because we know with confidence that if we work hard, we stand approved because he has done the work required. So we rest. There is nothing more we can do to please our ultimate boss. Work hard, as unto him. Please your earthly employer, but ultimately, the one in heaven, the one for whom you ultimately work, is pleased with your labor, because your work in him is complete. That's one way, looking at your job. There's another way I'm thinking about our church. Um, our, our church requires labor. <laughs> I think about what it takes just to get this morning to happen. I think about the way, the, the work that uh, people have put into getting a Christmas Eve service to happen a couple nights ago, the service this morning to happen today. Um, I think about the worship, the men's, the mi women's ministries, the youth ministry, the Adventureland ministry, our nursery. All of these require labor. Humans working, <laughs> working alongside the Lord. And if they do not labor alongside the Lord, if they do not look to the Lord for their help in this, they can labor all they want, but ultimately what we have to remember is that it wouldn't matter. Because if God doesn't do the work, 
in them to prepare them for the labor. And if God doesn't do the work of convicting us and drawing the people they're ministering to, to himself, in other words, if God doesn't do the work of repentance, growing that repentance and, and offer, giving us faith and stirring us in worship, it's all going to be in vain. This church, week to week, is a story of people laboring hard for the kingdom of God, but if God does not do the work of working in hearts, drawing and convicting, all that labor will be for nothing. And this is something that I needed to find rest in this morning, <laughs> because I got up very early this morning <laughs> to try to get this sermon done, because it was a busy week. With Christmas Eve and wanting to actually have Christmas with my family and having meetings earlier in the week, I didn't know how I was going to get it all done. I got up at 3.30, and, and here I stand. You're getting what I got. <laughs> but I'm trusting the Lord to use his word to work in you. And frankly, if I had three weeks to get ready for this morning, I would still be trusting in the Lord to do his work in you. <laughs> I prayed before a, a word, unction. It's a word we don't use. It's a cool word. Um, the, the word unction, it, it means power, but it's not just any power. The unction is power that comes from the Holy Spirit. In other words, I can get up here and I can speak with as much conviction as I want. I can put as much, I, I could yell, I could pound this thing all I want, but ultimately that's not unction. Unction is when the Holy Spirit uses his truth to just rip it into your souls. I can't do that. He can. I am dependent upon the Lord to take this book and deliver it to you with unction. I feel dependent when I do that every week. <laughs> so I need to remember that. But everybody in our church needs to remember that as we do the work of ministry. We can prepare. We must prepare. We can labor. We must labor. We can do that for decades and decades and decades, but ultimately in the labor, we can rest because we're not the one who brings about the fruit. I labored, Apollos watered. God gives the grace. God gives the fruit. He does his work. It's by his power. Rest in that. One more example here is parenting. You really don't need to unpack that one. If you're a parent, you understand. You can raise all your kids exactly the same and they will turn out differently <laughs> because you're not the one who can shape their hearts. You can and must disciple them. You can and must discipline them. You can and must give them the wisdom that you have found in the years of your life and pass it on to them, modeling for them a godly life, taking opportunities to teach them the truth, taking advantage of discipleship moments as they come. But parents, ultimately, the Lord is the one that has to work in your children's heart. So rest. Do your work as hard as you can. But then get on your knees and pray. He's the one who's going to shape your kids. He's the one who's going to make them the people that he has called them to be. In the Lord, our labor is peaceful and our labor is productive. But there is one more category I want to focus in on here at the end. One more area in which we see this labor and the Lord working together. And that's in the area of our faith in our relationship with him. Because our relationship with Christ isn't one where we just sit back and, 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 and wait for him to do his work in us. 
nor is it one where we do all the work to earn our place in his kingdom. This is what it says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. He says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay. <laughs> so there's a labor. There's a work involved here. What, is, what does that mean? The Christian life is a labor. The Christian life, it does require hard work. It requires that we seek out sin and that we weed out sin. That we see the sin in our life and we repent from it. We turn from it. It requires us to do these spiritual disciplines, that we take time in the Word, that we pray, that we gather together with this church, that we're vulnerable, that we seek accountability, that we serve with one another, that we walk together with Christ. But even as we labor, we rest. Because let me read this passage again and continue. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will, that means to want, and to work for his good pleasure. <laughs> By his power, he works in you to will, to want him. And he works in you to work out his ways. We did not make ourselves. He doesn't just help you live for him. He helps us want to live for him, to actively seek the Lord with all of our hearts. We rest because in everything, he is with you. But as you know, it's more than just that. The salvation that he offers us isn't just that he does everything with you. The reality is that when it comes to our standing before him, he has done everything for you. And this is the place where we find our true, deep, and eternal rest. And I could explain it to you with my own words. I'd rather tell you what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2. This is what he says. I cannot say it as clearly as beautiful as this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised you up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Jesus sought me while a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He, to rescue me from danger, interposed, that means stuck in between, his precious blood. I didn't save me. <laughs> and I find rest in that. That no matter what I do, no matter what I've done, no matter what I've come from, no matter what I will do in the future, my hope is secure because my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Nothing in my hands I bring, 
Simply to the cross I cling. Trust in Jesus Christ and find rest for your weary soul because in him your work before the Lord is complete. And from that place of comfort and stability, live for him. Labor for him. Labor for his kingdom. You will find joy and rest in the process. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that this work that you've called us to do, the lives that you've called us to live can be full, they can be tiring. But Father, we know that if we keep our eyes fixed on you and what you have done, the completion of your work, we know, Father, that if we, we remember that everything we do, we do with the presence of the living God dwelling inside of us, God, that changes the way we think about our work. And so, Father, I pray that we would go about the rest of this year and through the next year, reminded, Father, that the things you've called us to do, you do not call to do alone. And ultimately, the life you've called us to live, you have lived in our place for us, the perfect life. And so, Father, be glorified in our lives. Be pleased and praised. And I pray, Lord, that we would honor you by living in the rest that you have won for us on the cross. So we love you, God, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.